Chapter 12 of Great Men and Famous Women, Volume 4. Edited by Charles F. Horn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Count de Mirabeau, 1749-1791, by Charles S. Hathaway. Honoré Gabriel Riquetet, Count de Mirabeau, one of the most eminent among the great authors, orators, and statesmen of France, was born on March 9, 1749, on his father's estate at Bignon, near Nemours. The earliest of Mirabeau's ancestors, of whom there is any notable record, was Jean Riquetit, a prominent merchant at Marseille, who in 1570 bought the chateau and estate of Mirabeau near Pertuis, from the well-known provincial family of Barras, and who a few years later acquired the title of Esquire. In 1685, one hundred and fifteen years after the purchase above mentioned, Honoré Riquetit, lineal descendant of the Marseille merchant, obtained the title of Marquis de Mirabeau, and there was born to this Marquis a son, Jean-Antoine Riquetit, who achieved a worthy record as a soldier, but whose prominent place in history is due to the fact that he was the grandfather of the great Mirabeau. Victor Riquetit, son of the second Marquis de Mirabeau, and father of the great, the Count de Mirabeau, was in his early manhood an indifferent soldier, but he afterward became distinguished as a writer and leader in French politics. His wife, the mother of Count de Mirabeau, was Marie Genevieve, the daughter of Monsieur de Vassan, a brigadier in the French army, she being also the widow of the Marquis de Solibouf. This union entered into without a previous meeting between the principals to the contract, and at a time when the Marquis de Mirabeau was well started in his career as a politician, was not a happy one. The new husband was more loyal to politics than to his wife, so that when their son, who was destined to achieve fame, was but thirteen years old, there was a separation between the parents by mutual consent. Thus in outline is indicated the ancestry of Mirabeau through a period of nearly two centuries, and, meagre as the showing is, it is evident that he was the scion of a long line of wealth and nobility, his paternal ancestors having served with credit as soldiers, while his father was eminent as a politician. There is a second group of facts which bear interestingly upon the career under discussion. Mirabeau, the Great, was born at a time when more than two-thirds of France was in the hands of privileged classes, the king, the nobility, and the clergy, and at a time, too, when the structure, founded upon years of feudalism and absolutism, was about to be shaken to its base by the magic of popular public opinion. Under such conditions, at such a time, and from such stock, occurred the birth of Mirabeau the Great, a coming into the world of a babe scarce half made up, a child with a head so large that it was a dire deformity, with one foot sadly twisted, and with a tongue that was tied, in brief, an infant ogre born with teeth. So great was the chagrin of the father that he made no effort to conceal his dislike for the misshapen child. Hence, when at three years of age, the little one was left wretchedly pitted by a severe attack of smallpox, its fate was listed. It must not, could not, bear the name of Mirabeau. Accordingly, when the youngster was fourteen years old, 
after several years of instruction under the private tutorship of la chaubessière pierre he was entered under the fictitious name of pierre bouffier at a private military school in paris here strong of limb body and mind industrious and aggressive he remained for four years then his father placed him in the berry regiment of cavalry which regiment had been commanded sixty-two years before by his grandfather this event marked the end of a boyhood which had been clouded by an almost entire absence of paternal favor and wholly free from maternal care the mother's absence having been secured by the father by a letter de cachet in addition that boyhood had been irritated and embittered by a continuous and exasperating development of his natural personal disfigurement his enormous head grew less in harmony with his torso his lips and nose became thick and heavy great moles revealed themselves upon his cheeks and in every way physically his growth was a perpetual disappointment however he was now in seventeen sixty seven the eighteen-year-old pierre bouffier a lieutenant of cavalry conscious of his exceptional mental strength and somewhat vain thereof and full of ambition and determination to win as he wished and in spite of all his many obstacles unfortunately but most naturally considering his temperament the first test of his will his passion and his determination resulted in his victory he won the affection of a young woman to whom his colonel had long been devoted and the scandal resulting therefrom caused the father to obtain a letter de cachet by authority of which the indiscreet young man was placed in confinement in the isle of ray immediately the prisoner began his first illustration of his ability to gain to his own purposes the ability and influence of others one of his strongest and most useful characteristics within two months he had secured the esteem and confidence of his jailer so that the official soon made a most favorable report upon the strength of which mirabeau was accepted as a volunteer to accompany the french expedition sent in seventeen sixty nine to conquer corsica so well did the young soldier conduct himself during this campaign that he was not only promoted to a captaincy in the dragoons but he effected a partial reconciliation with his father returned to province was permitted to assume his true name and title and was presented at court in june 1772 he married by his father's advice marie emile de Cauvet, only daughter of the marquis de marinade she came to him portionless and he impetuous ambitious and extravagant became during the next two years deeply involved in debt his marriage was a failure again the father utilized the letter de cachet and a second time was mirabeau a prisoner august twenty third seventeen seventy four this time in the chateau d'if at marseilles here it was that he wrote his first work of which we have any exact knowledge its title being essai sur le despotisme in the following year he was transferred from the chateau d'if to the castle of joux where he was less strictly confined he had the freedom of the place and frequent opportunities for visiting the nearby town of pontelaire it was in this town that he first met marie theresa the marchioness de monier the young and attractive wife of an aged magistrate 
a love affair was the result and it culminated in august seventeen seventy six in an elopement first to switzerland and then to amsterdam for over nine months the fugitive pair lived together in the dutch capital mirabeau under the assumed name of saint matthew earned a livelihood as a pamphleteer and by making translations for holland publishers meanwhile the tribunal of pontarlier had condemned both parties mirabeau to be beheaded and his companion his sophie as she is most widely known to imprisonment for life on may fourteenth seventeen seventy seven they were arrested in amsterdam and mirabeau was imprisoned by a letter de cachet in the castle of Vincennes, while sophie was surrendered to the pontarlier authorities for three and a half years thereafter mirabeau was in confinement a term which proved sufficient to temper his passion and during which he wrote his well-known letters to sophie the erotica biblion and my conversion he also wrote during this time his first worthy political production the letters de cachet he was released from this imprisonment on december thirteenth seventeen eighty and at once sought out sophie to quarrel with and leave her and so fortunately end the most disgraceful portion of his life mirabeau now thirty-one years old and according to the times most liberally experienced in the ways of the then turbulent world undertook as his first task the removal of the sentence of death which still confronted him not only did he succeed in this but by his plausibility and eloquence he shifted the entire cost of the proceedings to the shoulders of the complainant the aged magistrate he had so grossly wronged his next venture was an effort before the tribunal of x to compel his wife to return to him here he failed he also failed in an effort to compromise a suit pending between his father and mother not only that but by his pleadings his mother became forever alienated from him and by reason of his bitter attacks upon the rulings of the court he was forced to leave paris locating in amsterdam he began his lasting and respectable relations with madame de nara daughter of zwier von Haren, a dutch writer and politician she was a woman of education and refinement who exercised a valuable influence over his rapidly growing celebrity bringing out his good qualities subduing his undesirable characteristics and encouraging all of his better ambitions it was at her suggestion that he went to england after a brief stay in holland while she repaired to paris his mission which he accomplished was to publish his considerations sur l'ordre du cincinnatus and his daughter sur la liberté de la scotte while her mission also successful was to establish peace between mirabeau and the authorities at the french capital during twenty years of the thirty-six years he had lived mirabeau had been either through his father's intervention or by his own acts a constant topic of consideration by the french authorities on the other hand by virtue of his writings he declared enmity to all forms of tyranny and oppression and his distaste for pretense he had become a popular idol he was as carlyle put it a swallower of formulas and it seems he had the ability to digest such food thus taken therefore upon his return to paris in april seventeen eighty five he made a series of attacks upon agiotage or stock jobbing most effectively assaulting the Compagnie du Haut and the Bank du Saint-Charles. 
while such efforts proved offensive to the government it caused such an appreciation of his ability that he was sent in june of seventeen eighty six on a secret mission to berlin he remained there for a year and a half and during that time he secured the material for his notable work history secret de la cour de berlin among other writings which he produced about this time were his moses mendelssohn la reforme politique du juif and his pamphlet denunciation de l'agiotage aimed against the policy of cologne again he was in danger of the letter de cachet and so he repaired to brunswick where he finished his work de la monarchie prussienne which was published in seventeen eighty eight up to seventeen eighty nine mirabeau had been a dramatic character an individual revelation of theatric passion a figure-piece single and alone but the climax was at hand the achievement of american independence had been an object lesson most potent louis and his queen marie antoinette could not check the storm and for the first time in one hundred and seventy-three years france was to have an assembly of the nation by its representatives the third estate was aroused and the states-general was summoned mirabeau having a deep-rooted desire to provide for france a government in accord with the wishes and intent of a majority of the people and having been rejected by the noblesse of his own district presented himself to the third estate as a candidate he was elected both for aix and for marcel and he decided to sit for aix naturally an enthusiast he was present may fourth seventeen eighty nine at the opening of the states-general but with excellent sagacity he entered that body as an independent to the end of his life twenty-three months later he maintained that independence when being shut out in the rain from the great hall of the estates the third estate established themselves in the adjacent tennis court and when being ejected from there they came together again and forced the king to recognize them as the representatives of the nation through all these earlier and wiser stages of the great revolt mirabeau was the leader and director but when on june fifth seventeen eighty nine a resolution was passed by the delegates declaring themselves the people the commons of france to be the national assembly he spoke and worked bravely and eloquently against abandoning the old order of things before formulating an exact and sufficient policy as its successor he declared the action a hasty one and finally avoided the issue in the only way possible by absenting himself when the vote was taken and yet eight days later at the close of the royal sitting he bade the grand master of ceremonies go and tell your master we are here by the power of the people and that we are only to be driven out by that of the bayonet he advised the assembly against the publication of pompous proclamations and classed the demonstration of the night of august fourth as a theoretical display of liberty wholly without practical value he was opposed to mob law and in no sense was he dazzled by the fall of the bastille he pleaded in favor of the royal right to veto and proclaimed that he was willing even to advocate a restoration of the king's legitimate authority as the only means of saving france he was a leader of magnificent power enthusiastic in the advocacy and support of his convictions a statesman who would not speak write or do in politics anything not in accord with his estimate as to what was right 
True, he was accused of treason for speaking in support of the king's right to proclaim war or peace, but three days thereafter he defended himself against the charge, and with overwhelming success. He was a leader who worked prodigiously. In addition to his duties as a member of the assembly, he was also publisher and editor of a paper first called the Journal des Estats Généraux, later the Letter Amas Constituents, and at last the Corée de Provence. As clerk of the Committee Diplomatique of the Assembly, and because of his thorough knowledge of foreign affairs, he was the constant adviser of Montmorin, the Foreign Secretary. Thus, by his wise appreciation of the subject, he established harmony between the Assembly and Montmorin, and so prevented foreign intervention, at the same time maintaining the honor of France abroad. But this bulwark to the nation's safety was about to topple and fall, precipitated by its own decay. As in all things, Mirabeau had been colossal in his excesses, and like them the punishment was great. He wished to live, but he did not fear death. Early in 1791, the structure began to weaken, and realizing that the time was at hand, Mirabeau carefully collected all of his writings, and after classifying them, forwarded them to his firm friend and companion, Sir Gilbert Elliot, in England. So far as he was able, he continued to contribute to the guidance and protection of his country. He was patient and fearless, his only regret taking the form of a pardonable conceit that, could he but live, the revolution could be controlled and guided, that the awful reign of terror so soon to follow could be averted. The progress of his decline was without hindrance, in spite of all that science could devise. It is reported that, as he looked out from his sick-room on the day of his death, on the brilliant springtime sun, he said, If he is not God, he is at least his cousin German. Thus were, it is said, his last spoken words, although some time later, when unable to articulate, he feebly held a pen in his hand as he wrote the single word, Dormir. And so on April 2nd, 1791, he died. Thus ended the life of a wondrous statesman, a singular career, of which Carlyle, in his French Revolution, says, Strange lot! Forty years of that smoldering with foul fire-damp and vapor enough, then victory over that, and like a burning mountain he blazes heavens high, and for twenty-three resplendent months pours out in flame and molten fire-torrents all that is in him, the pharaohs and the wonder-signs of an amazed Europe, and then lies hollow, cold, forever. End of chapter 12